am like that. So, Michael, what do you think? Why me? You have to make the decision. Wow. Okay. Well, I swallowed all your ideas. I'm going to digest them and see what comes out the other end. Hey, morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you all here today. I'm going to put this over here, Tyler. You know, I can't figure out who's uh, stupider. Michael, who can't decide. I mean, he's just not going to be able to make a decision. Or Jim, who disagreed with his girlfriend. I mean, come on. Uh, any of you guys understand how this works? You don't disagree with your girlfriend in public like that. And it's risky in private as well. But uh, the whole idea of surplus is a pretty cool thought, isn't it? Uh, surplus. That means there's extra. That means there's abundance. That means there's more than enough. And that, that uh, concept of surplus, more than enough, is really uh, this year part of the focus for us as we went through the Freedom Project in the spring. Uh, we looked at the whole uh, series of messages on this idea of more than enough. And for Michael, uh, he, he had a hard time in the video we watched last week that immediately preceded this one. He had a hard time understanding even what a surplus was. And, uh, you know, probably for some of us, we understand what it is, but it's almost like such a foreign thing that we uh, wouldn't know what to do with it if we, if we found one. And, you know, Michael didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, if anything, he was tentative and uh, at, at there's no way you would ever describe him as being bold in his decision-making capacity. But one of the things that understanding God's abundance, understanding that there's more than enough, one of the things that moving from a scarcity mentality where there's always fear about provision into an abundance mentality where there's confidence that God will always provide everything we need to do what he wants us to do, and he'll give us extra so that we have more than we need so we can bless others with it. When we really begin to live that way, it gives us a boldness. We gain boldness in life. And th that's really what I want for my life, and that's what I want for you. Uh, don't you want that? Uh, the, the freedom to live a life with boldness. Isn't that good? I mean, maybe that's a good definition for freedom itself is the ability to live with boldness, to do what God's asking you to do without question, without fear, without anxiety. And it's when we tie into this concept of God being a God of abundance and blessing that we, we really uh, engage with, with this whole um, ability, actually, to, to be bold. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that um, we looked at last week briefly, but, uh, or at least I had it in my notes last week. I can't remember if I referred to it in this message or not. And let's pray first, okay? Father, um, we just want to come right now and open our hearts to you, and we want to declare that you are good. You are good. Would you say that with me? Just turn, turn your heart to God. We're speaking to God right now. We're saying, say with me, you are good. You are good. Thank you for your goodness. And uh, we thank you that you are a God of abundance, that you have a call for us, you have a purpose for us in life, and that out of your abundance, you provide for us to fulfill uh, that call, that mission, that purpose that you have for us in life. Give us all courage 
Give us boldness and confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there is in the Bible a uh, kind of a presentation of a, a cycle, a process that we get into where we begin to understand God's abundance and we begin to live on the basis of God's abundance and he provides for us. And then when we, we get into this cycle where we have the boldness then to release God's provision, what he's given to us to release portions of it to other places, in, into ministries and to give to other people in need. And the Bible says that this cycle of receiving and giving is what God wants us to live in. And when we really begin to grasp the concept of abundance, we can begin to live in this cycle. And it's described as bread and seed in a passage in the New Testament. I want to read those verses. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 10. Okay, he's talking to a group of people who have given sacrificially. They've already given sacrificially, and now uh, he's, he's talking to them about that. And he says, God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Okay, so he says here, principle, you give with the desire to honor God's heart, God's going to provide what you need and he's going to give you enough to share with others. And then he goes on to say this, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And so he's saying here that God provides for us And in that provision, there is both bread and seed. Now, what he's doing is alluding to an Old Testament, uh, or not really Old Testament, but to a, uh, a farming analogy where a farmer harvests crops and the farmer brings the crops in. And has let's, let's just say it's corn, brings in this, this, uh, this harvest of corn. And he looks at it and he says, okay, God's provided this for our family. And so we're going to, we're going to eat this corn. But they take one section of it and they say, God's provided this for seed. And so we're going to save this corn for next year. We're going to eat this amount, but we're going to save this so we have something to plant next year. If they just eat it all, then there's nothing to plant. There's nothing to invest in the future. Does that make sense? You eat all of your crop, you eat your seed crop, you're finished. That's basically, uh, basically the truth. And so what he's saying here is that God provides for us. And what he provides, large portion of that is for us to eat. It's bread. It is provision for my life. And, and, it, and it's something God wants me to enjoy as well. It's not just the basic provision. The Bible says that he's given us all good things to enjoy. But there's also seed that he provides for me. We're talking about money here. We're talking about the, God's provision of money in our lives. And, you know, Jesus talked about money a lot because it's so attached to our hearts. It's just impossible to separate my heart from the money that I have in life or that I would like to have in life. And so Jesus talked about money a lot because he wants us to be free. 
And so it, I, I, I look at this money God's provided for me. And I say, okay, this much God wants me to use to provide for my family and to make provision. And this much is seed. And what do I do with the seed? I plant it back into the kingdom of God. I reinvest it in God's work. I give it to advance God's kingdom. And when I do that, then this cycle comes into play. And and that's when then it says God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll have always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, I think it takes boldness to jump into this cycle. For anybody who's not living in it already, uh, you know, some of us were brought up in a culture. Some of you here were brought up in a home where giving was just, just you just did. And so you have never had a period of time where you've based your budget on all that you get, you've always recognized part of this is seed that we have to put back into the kingdom. But for, for many of us, we didn't grow up that way. And so in, in our culture today, not only are we encouraged to take all that we get and use it ourselves, but we are encouraged to borrow money that we don't even have and use it then for ourselves. And so for some people who are in debt it's really hard to conceive of somehow getting into this cycle of actually recognizing that some of it, you know, a major portion of what I get is to provide for me and my family, but a portion of it is also to be reinvested in the kingdom. And it takes courage to step into that. It takes courage to make the decision to say, what we're going to do is cut up these three credit cards. We're going to destroy them. And we're going to pay them down. And we're, we're going to go for a year and a half and we're not going to buy any new clothes. We're not going to go out to eat. If the TV breaks, it's going to stay broke. We're not, we're not going to buy a new car. We're going to put that off. Put that off for a few years. And we're going to pay these debts down. And at the same time, we're going to start giving. And we're going to start taking some and sowing that seed back into the kingdom, trusting that God's going to bless this process. And then as I get out of these debts, I become freer because money is attached to our hearts and our peace and and everything about peace in life. And when we're in debt, there's no peace, there's no freedom. And so it takes a bold decision to say, we're going to start to get out of debt. And a big part of that is I want to give. I want to have more to sow into the kingdom, into God's work. And, and so part, part of my desire for this message uh, today and, and even next week is to really to help us to begin to, to connect some of the dots between our own personal finances and the ministry that happens here in this church. Uh, the, the ministry that happens in the classrooms, that hap- that's happening in the classrooms right now. The ministry that happens in the services and at the end of the services. The ministry that happens in small groups and house groups. Uh, we need to begin to see an attachment between not, not just my spiritual growth in an abstract way, but in the concrete way of how I'm actually living my life how I treat other people, how I respond to my employers, what I do with my time and my purity of mind and heart and life, and as well, how I handle my finances. 
And so it takes a bold, bold step to say, all right, I'm going to trust God with this. You know, we trust God with a lot of things. Nature tells me, don't forgive this other person. Nature tells me, if you forgive them, then that means they're getting away with it. If you forgive them, then you're losing and they're winning. God tells me, no, you've got to forgive them. And the only way for you to be free is to forgive them. You have to. So I trust God in that and I work towards forgiveness or, or I just flat out just, just step into forgiveness. We trust God with that sort of thing. Well, we need to trust God with his teaching and instruction on us when it comes to the seed that he gives us as well. What do we do with that seed? Where do we invest it and how do we invest it and how do we sow it? You know, in the Freedom Project, um, that, that, that takes boldness. In the Freedom Project, we had um, uh, a focus on this passage in the Old Testament story of a young man named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son to King Saul. And King Saul, he was the first king in Israel. And uh, he came into the, the, the role of king at a period of time when Israel as a nation and as a people had been subjugated to a neighboring nation called the Philistines. The Philistines were pretty bad people, and they basically enslaved the nation of Israel. And so they've been living for decades as slaves, as oppressed people. And now they have a king, Saul. And King, uh, king Saul draws people together from all parts of the country and forms an army. And they're going to go out and they're going to fight the Philistines now. And they're going to fight for their freedom. So this was a war of independence. And yet in the entire army, there were only two people that actually had weapons. They actually had weapons of war, uh, swords. That was David and Saul. Now the rest of the army, they were armed with farm implements, pitchforks, uh, hoes, different, different farm implements with metal um, Attachments that could be sharpened and, and used in some way in battle. And so they, as, a, uh, as a, an army, they are terrified. They, they just do not know what to do. And so they're hiding up. It says some of them were hiding in caves. They're hiding behind rocks. They're little clusters of trees. Uh, if any, any of you ever gone hunting? You see, you come up to a certain area and you might see four or five grouse or pheasant all fly out at once. Well, if you went up to one of these little clusters of trees, you might find five or six Israeli soldiers hiding them because they were terrified and they didn't know what to do. Even King Saul didn't know what to do. He was indecisive, couldn't decide when to engage the battle because of fear. But his son, Jonathan, wasn't afraid. And his son, Jonathan, went out one day and Jonathan and his armor bearer came to the foot of a cliff. And at the top of that cliff was a Philistine outpost, a Philistine stronghold. They had at least 20 men there, probably more in the range of 40 or 50. And Jonathan calls out to God and says, God, if you want us to go up there, then give us this sign. And God spoke to them and gave them a clear sign that he wanted Jonathan to engage in battle with these Philistines. And Jonathan and his armor bearer crawled up the side of this hill. In fact, it literally says that it was so steep they had to use their hands and, and feet. They couldn't walk. They had to climb up the hill. And when he got to the top of the hill, he engages with the Philistines and he killed 20, 20 Philistine soldiers in half an acre's space in just this ferocious battle. Now, where did Jonathan get the boldness and the courage to do that when the rest of the army, including his dad, is hiding out? And they don't know what to do and they're afraid and they don't think they can do anything. 
Where does he find the strength for that? Well, it all came back to his belief about who God was. And he actually made a declaration of faith in who God was. You know, we read that in 1 Timothy or 1 Samuel 14 of verse 6. Here's what Jonathan said. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Okay, look at that again. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Let's read it together, okay? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. How many of us believe that? Believe that, okay? I believe that too. Now, how many of the people in Israel's army do you think would have said they believed that? How many of them, if it was a test and you were marking your answers down, how many of them do you think would have said, oh yeah, I believe that. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I think most of them would have said that. But what Jonathan was willing to do was to take action. Because he had real faith. And listen, real faith always takes action. Real faith always shows up. Always shows up. And when Jonathan makes this statement, do you know where he was counting himself? He was counting himself in the few. Yeah, it's one thing to make that statement and count yourself in the many. It's another thing to make that statement and to consciously count yourself as part of the few. And so Jonathan makes this statement, trust in God, and then he supports this, the actual statement he made of trust in God by actually doing something. And when you and I think about it, we've got to focus on this truth that faith always takes action. So they climb the cliff, they have the battle. They win the battle. What happens next? God's power and presence are released over the entire battlefield. Miles away. People, don't, people haven't seen this fight. They haven't seen the battle. They don't know it's happened. And yet the strength of God comes on them. Courage comes on them. They're hiding out in caves and behind rocks. And suddenly as they're hiding, they're, they're looking at each other saying, why are we hiding? These Philistines are just, they're just men like us. We've got God on our side. We can do this. And they all start coming out of their hiding places. And there's this sense of power that falls on their army. And they go out and they win the battle that day. And here's the deal. It all happened because of one man who was willing to say something and back it up with action. And another guy that was willing to go along with him. And so the question I have for you and for myself as well is this. How, how do I view myself? How do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as one of the many? Yeah, as long as there are many, then it's okay. And I believe God could, could work through a few, but I'd prefer not to be one of the few. <laughs> That's a little scarier, a little tougher. I want to be one of the few. That's what I want. I want to be one of the few. I, I want to be Jonathan. I want to be willing to scale the cliff even if no one else goes. And that's what I want for you. I think that's what God wants for you. I think that's what God wants for this church body. 
That, that's, how, that's why he has brought, raised this church body up to be some of the few, to do something that is different than everyone else is doing, to press ahead, to trust God, to see God work, to not be intimidated by the things we see around us. In fact, um, a few years ago, actually, I was reading this passage, and as I was reading it, there were two thoughts that I jotted down and I, on sticky notes, and I stuck them up on my desk, and they've stuck there for uh, several years now. But it was this. I believe God wants us to be a people who challenge strongholds. You hear that? Yeah. That's what, that's what God's calling us to be, is a people who challenge strongholds. You know what strongholds are? Stronghold, an enemy outpost. 20, 30, 40 soldiers up there, ready to fight. Well, strongholds, as you, as you translate that into the battle that we face, strongholds are places where our spiritual enemy has a grip. Strongholds like addictions. We want to be a people that when we're faced with addiction, we're, we're, we're face-to-face with someone who's addicted. We're not going to stand back wringing our hands thinking, oh my, only if Jesus were here. Oh boy, if only, if only Wilson or Luke were here because they pray for people like this all the time. And I, No, we're not going to be a people like that. We're going to be a people that when we encounter this, we're, we're going to be saying, yeah, seen this before. We know this can break. We know God's power is greater than this addiction. We know that Jesus came to set this person free. We know I have the answer. I have God's power in my life. And God, I, I just want to cooperate with what you're doing right now because I, I want to see this stronghold broken. And when we see poverty, when we see the stronghold of marriages falling apart, we know that Jesus is the answer. We're not going to stand back. We're not going to do nothing. We're going to be a people that say, yeah, well, okay, even if I'm one of the few, yeah, if there are a bunch of us here, all the better. But even if I'm one of the few, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fold. I'm not going to crumble in the face of this stronghold. We see strongholds of lies in our culture. And we see strongholds of the uh, abuse of other people in our culture. Strongholds of poverty and greed. And, and we look at that and we don't, need to sh- we don't need to be afraid of that. You know, we just had elections and, and there's so many opinions about the elections and what does it mean and who's this and who's that and where are we going and what's going to happen. We don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to be afraid of that. We don't, need, we don't need to be afraid of the future. There, there's no stronghold of fear that the enemy can bring up that we need to be intimidated by. We can break them. We have the authority of Christ to come against them. To take their power away because Jesus took their power away at the cross. And the power of the enemy was broken at the cross. And if you and I are followers of Jesus, then we are people of the cross. We are people of the power of the cross that was released into this world. Jesus died on that cross to pay for all the sin of the world for all time. So the kingdom of God could be released and invade this world. Just invade this world. You want to hear something kind of cool? I haven't told this to any of the other services, so you get this. Have you ever seen one of those um, uh, space shows where they, they come into the spaceship and they're in this chamber and then they open the doors 
And what, what sound always happens when they open the doors to the main spaceship? Yeah, you hear that sound, don't you? Why? Air. Yeah. The, the, they were in an airlock. One atmosphere is entering another atmosphere and overtaking it. Atmospheres are changing. And so there's a sound. All right. The day of Pentecost, when they're praying and the Holy Spirit comes on them and, and like tongues of fire, what was the sound that happened? It was a rushing sound like wind. It was a You know what that was? That was heaven opening up and the culture, the uh, atmosphere of heaven rushing into this world as the kingdom of God was finally released into this world. That's all because of the cross of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You and I are part of that. If you know Jesus, we are part of that. He, he didn't call us just to hold on until he returns and try to stay saved or whatever. I don't know, whatever your theology might be on that. But not just to hold on and try to be a good person until Jesus returns. And then, then everything will be really happy from them on. Well, it's going to be. I mean, and we look forward to Jesus returning. But he called us to stand in his power now. To recognize the presence of the kingdom of God in this world now. And that you and I are agents of God's kingdom. And as we walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them. Fires of tongues of fire. And the atmosphere of heaven whooshed in. And now we walk in that. We walk in that. And in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are agents of his kingdom. So we don't have to be intimidated by anything. We're going to be a people who step up and challenge strongholds. And then the other thing I wrote down was we're going to be a people who see where the kingdom of God is advancing and we mobilize. We mobilize. Okay, Jonathan saw, okay, God's working here. God spoke to him. I'm not going to go into the whole story. And he said, okay, this is where God's working. This is what we're going to do. We're going to put our energy right here. And then as he presses in and there's victory, and then the whole army just kind of like, well, yeah, let's go for this. And they all flow in. And so we want to see where God's working and put our energy and our resources there, even if it means we focus on one ministry. Like if there's something, let's say healing breaks out in the preschool area. You know, they're training the kids back there to pray for the sick. Did you know that? And to pray for healing and to pray for other people. Yeah. One of the things I love about that is that uh, someone said, and I think rightly, that if you want to know what your real values are, then what are you teaching your kids? And so and we're teaching them to pray for the sick. What if healing breaks out back there? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to put more energy there. We're going to say, whoa, there's where, that, that's where the kingdom's breaking in. Then we're going to put resources, time, money, people there. And then do you know what happens? It just breaks out all over the place. That's what happened with Jonathan. He broke that stronghold and then breaks out everywhere. And so that's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be that kind of people. And part, part of that, I mean, a huge part of that is us 
just getting our whole lives lined up with God's life. And I said a few moments ago, I want to help you connect the dots between your, not just your worship life and your uh, Bible reading life and your kindness life and your love of others life, but between your financial life, I want to help you connect the dots between that and what's happening here in this ministry and in this church so that we can see the connection, so that I can see that the way I'm conducting myself and my own life not only in how I work, at my, whether or not I'm a good employee, that honors Jesus or, or uh, detracts from the message somehow, but also in my whole financial life, that, that does too. And it really takes courage to step into it. It takes courage to step into it and to begin to see things in a different light. Now, I have to think for a moment here because I'm not sure where I'm going next. Yeah, I know. You know the Freedom Project? How many of you were here for that? Okay, we gave over $100,000 away, totally outside this church, to other ministries. And uh, just, just out there, it was out there. But do you know what the main goal of the Freedom Project was? It wasn't that we would give $100,000 out there and free people out there. That, that was a cool thing. And I was so proud to be part of this church when we did that. And we sacrificed to do that. The real goal was to set us free. That was the real goal. You get that? Yeah, we need to be free. Because this is the Freedom Project. Okay, it's not just out there. It's here. It's here. If you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Zach share, share his testimony of being freed from addictions and heroin. Whoa, that, that's powerful. We don't have to be afraid of heroin addiction. We've seen people freed from it. You know that. We know that. We can confront it. And Shauna uh, comes an atheist and flips because of a prophetic word and says, well, oh, God must be alive. You know, that's exactly what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. That if, if you have prophetic ministry happening in your church, if that's just part of the cultural milieu of your church, that people are going to say, they're going to fall down on their knees and they're going to say, God's alive. And they're going to worship God. And so that's what happens. And Sean says, well, if Jesus is real, then how can I not accept him? I want to live for him. I want to walk with him. You hear Carl a couple weeks ago talk about how Jesus has, has freed him. You didn't get to hear the whole thing of his life, but freed him from some addictions and, and issues and given him this perspective of giving. And then, and then God blessed him. And it's just amazing. I mean, that's, that's all work of what's happening in this church body. Not my work, but our work. Uh, uh, David, I, I, David, would you wave everybody? Right over here, David, my, my friend David. Dave and I spent an hour or so together this week just hearing about how God's working in his life and how Jesus has changed his life and, uh, and all that God's doing. And I want to tell you, there are kids back there that they are learning Jesus loves them right now. And they're praying for other people and they're seeing God answer prayers. And that's all part of what's happening here. So when I, when I say connect the dots, it is to what God's doing. The, the freedom is happening. Freedom is being released. 
The presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is work, God's working here in a powerful and a profound way. In a new way. And I'm going to talk next week about the new wine passage. You're familiar with that? New wine and old wineskins. That will be the message next week. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, just to talk about what all God's doing and how the Holy Spirit's uh, working here in just such powerful ways. And what more we see coming. Now, I look at this and I think... Uh, in fact, I looked up some of these statistics this week that um, 50% of the churches in America, do you know how big they are? 75 or less. 50%. Or 75 people or less. Um, when you go up to the 90%, 90% of the churches are 350 people or less. We got a church of 650 on a weekend. And probably 900 that would say, yeah, this is my church home. Doing pretty good, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so you think, well, hey, what do we have to worry about? Why do you want more? Why do we want to do more? Why don't we just, I mean, I'm 63. I could coast. I could say, yeah, I got two, three, four years left, maybe five. I mean, I'm thinking more than that, okay? I'm thinking like 70s, but... uh, but, but I could think that, and I could say, yeah, just kind of coast, and then I'll drift out and let something else. But I'm not going to coast. It's, first, it's, it's not in my nature. God didn't make me that way. And I don't want you to coast. I don't want us to coast. And do you know why? Do you know why it's important? It's because there are thousands of people within 20-minute drive of this church that need Jesus. Thousands that need Jesus. And they're going to find him here, whereas they might not find him in another church. Now, there are other good churches. I don't mean there are great churches out there. But there are thousands that God has given us the opportunity to influence and that he wants to bring to faith in Jesus through us. And we can't say no to that. I said last week, we could, we could handle another 50 to 100 young families with kids. We just, we just need more volunteers to take care of the children, to watch them, to bless them and to love them. Okay, That's what we're doing back there is loving the kids, praying for them, teaching them how to pray. And we're loving those families and we're leading people to Jesus. There are so many marriages out there that are on the brink of just falling apart and they need, they need someone that loves Jesus just to come up close to them, not to be afraid, just come up close and show them how to forgive and show them the freedom to forgive, the power to forgive and the power of the Holy Spirit to change their lives. That's why we're here. That's what God's called us to. And so many more things, so much more. But... Um, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, I want to live boldly. I want you to live boldly. And I want us to walk in the freedom of uh, the, whole, uh, the whole freedom project thing. But, you know, one of the things it takes is for us to think a different way. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about more next week. But um, it, it's an adjustment of thinking because in our culture, our finances are something that are private. Don't talk about it. And that's why we don't, as a church, it's pretty rare that I do this. And in our offerings, we take them at the beginning of the service. They tell me if you take them in the middle or at the end, the offerings are bigger. Well, it, it, you know, it, 
There's certain things you can do. We don't, we don't try to use guilt or manipulation or uh, coercion or anything like that. It's just a kind of a subtle thing. And we don't talk about this sort of thing often. But we need to understand. We need to t- connect the dots between our entire lives and what God wants to do through this church body and through this whole ministry. And, and I want, you know, sometimes people will come up to you and they'll say, well, your church is doing pretty good. And I'm talking to someone who's been here for 10 years. And they say, well, your church is doing pretty good. And I, I just stop and say, wait, you know, no. I mean, I, I've, I stopped short of going, you know, <laughs> I don't do that. I find that doesn't work as a pastor. Um, but, uh, but, but I want to say, no, no, it's not. I mean, I'm the leader. Yeah. Well, along with some other people, I lead the church. And I think that's what God's called me to do. But no, it's our church. We're part of it. We're all part of it. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But this whole idea of thinking differently takes some different mindset shifts. And you remember last week, and we're going to end with this, um, talking about the multiplication of the bread and the loaves. And how Jesus had fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. And then he's on a boat with his apostles. And they only have one loaf of bread. And they're all worried because they're not going to have enough to eat. And Jesus says, what are you guys thinking? What are you doing talking about bread just because you have one loaf? Don't you remember? And do we have that slide? Don't you remember? With five loads, I fed 5,000 people and there were 12 baskets extra. And the seven loaves and the 4,000 and the seven baskets extra. You know, the emphasis there is on the extra, but I can't help but point out, again, five loaves is less than seven loaves. 5,000 is more, and 12 baskets left over is more. So he started with less, fed more, and had more left over. See, God's a God of abundance. He's a God of abundance. And we need to start to shift our thinking to think, you know that whoosh of heaven coming in? Right through my brain, right through my mind. I want that, I want that, I just want that new atmosphere just to flow right through my head, right through my brain, my heart, and every part of my being. And I'm going to think like heaven thinks from now on. Yeah, I'm going to count like heaven counts. Do you know what's interesting? Young adults, they have a bunch of them here, but they, they had a group on Thursday night and Friday night. Friday night groups at our house. You've heard me talk about that. I think uh, the last month or two, you've averaged, what, 42? 42 at our house last, last month or so. And last, last week, they multiplied. So divided the group on Friday night and went to another house in Westchester. All right, so how many people do you think were at my house and how many people do you think were at the new place? We are starting off with 42. You divide that by two, what do you get? Okay, God's math goes this way. 2 into 42 equals 55 at our house and 35 at the new house. I mean, how do you figure that? It's just God doing something. It's God's work. And that's, that's just spreading out all over this place. The Holy Spirit's working in a powerful way. And all we have to do is say yes to get in on it. Yeah, you know what? Come tonight. You'll love it. Come tonight. Come tonight. Bengals aren't on TV. You don't have to worry about that. Okay, can I say this? Even if the Bengals were on TV, you'd be better off coming here. 
Sorry, 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 my apologies. I got out of hand there. That was uncalled for. Okay, so connecting the dots, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do more of that next week and, and, and just see more of what God wants to do and where we are here. But the uh, worship team is going to come now, okay? Worship team is going to come. We're going to worship together. I think they're coming. There they are. Awesome. So you want to stand with me and um, let's pray. And you're welcome to come down front and worship. That's part of what we do here. And, uh, you know, talking about boldness, it's a bold step for someone who's always sat in the sixth row and does not ever want to be viewed as being overly emotional or overly expressive because everyone's going to know you're faking. Anybody, any of you identify with that? Man, that's me. That is, oh boy, if I raise my hands, people are going to think I'm faking. They're, they know me. They know. And, but, but no, take that bold step. Come on up front and worship. Make sure you move in so new people can come up and there's plenty of space. But uh, Father God, we, wanna, we just want to honor you and worship you right now. Thank you. Thank you that heaven has invaded earth. And thank you that we get to be carriers of heaven, carriers of the kingdom everywhere we go. So Holy Spirit, come now and fill this place and bless, bless everything in this building right now, Lord. The kids, the teens, everyone uh, under this roof, just bless with your presence now. So we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.